better, he answered, closing his eyes. The bewildered flock of sheep and goats, gathered in a silent ring, stood at a gaze while the robbers fumbled over their master. This is a stray dog, said one. He has lost his collar. There's not even the price of a mouthful of wine on him. Shall we kill him and leave him for the vultures? What have the vultures done for us, said another, that we should feed them? Let us take his cloak and drive off his flock and leave him to die in his own time. With a kick and a curse, they left him. He opened his eyes and lay quiet for a moment, with his twisted smile, watching the stars. "'You creep like snails,' he said. "'I thought you had marked my time tonight. But not even that is given to me for nothing. I must pay for all, it seems.' Far away, slowly scattering and receding, he heard the rustling and bleeding of his frightened flock as the robbers, running and shouting, tried to drive them over the hills. Then he stood up and took the shepherd's pipe, a worthless bit of reed, from the breast of his tunic. He blew again that plaintive, piercing air, sounding it over the ridges and distant thickets. It seemed to have neither beginning nor end, a melancholy, pleading tune that searched forever after something lost. While he played, the sheep and the goats, slipping away from their captors by roundabout ways, hiding behind the laurel bushes, following the dark gullies, leaping down the broken cliffs, came circling back to him, one after another. And as they came, he interrupted his playing, now and then, to call them by name. When they were nearly all assembled, he went down swiftly toward the lower valley, and they had followed him, panting. At the last crook of the path on the steep hillside, a straggler came after him along the cliff. He looked up and saw it outlined against the sky. Then he saw it leap and slip and fall beyond the path into a deep cleft. Little fool, he said. Fortune is kind to you. You have escaped from the big trap of life. What? You are crying for help? You are still in the trap? Then I must go down to you, little fool, for I am a fool too. But why I must do it, I know no more than you know. He lowered himself quickly and perilously into the cleft and found the creature with its leg broken and bleeding. It was not a sheep, but a young goat. He had no cloak to wrap it in, but he took off his turban and unrolled it, and bound it around the trembling animal. Then he climbed back to the path and strode on at the head of his flock, carrying the little black kid in his arms. There were houses in the valley of the mills, and in some of them lights were burning. And the drone of the millstones, where the women were still grinding, came out into the night like the humming of drowsy bees. As the women heard the pattering and bleating of the flock, they wondered who was passing so late. One of them in a house where there was no mill but many lights came to the door and looked out laughing, her face and bosom bare. But the sad shepherd did not stay. His long shadow in the confused mass of lesser shadows behind him drifted down the white moonlight, past the yellow bars of lamplight that gleamed from the doorways. It seemed as if he were bound to go somewhere and would not delay. Yet, with all his haste to be gone, it was plain that he thought little of where he was going. For when he came to the foot of the valley, where the paths divided, he stood between them staring vacantly, without a desire to turn this way or that. The imperative of choice halted him like a barrier. The balance of his mind hung even because both scales were empty. He could act, he could go, for his strength was untouched, but he could not choose, for his will was broken within him. The path to the left went toward the little town of Bethlehem with huddled roofs and walls and silhouette along the double-crested hill. It was dark and forbidding as a closed fortress. The sad shepherd looked at it with indifferent eyes. There was nothing there to draw him, 
the path to the right wound through rock-strewn valleys toward the Dead Sea, but rising out of that crumpled wilderness, a mile or two away, the smooth white ribbon of a chariot road lay upon the flank of a cone-shaped mountain and curled in loops toward its peak. There the great cone was cut squarely off, and the leveled summit was capped by a palace of marble, with round towers at the corner and flaring beacons along the walls, and the glow of an immense fire, hidden in the central courtyard, painted a false drawn in the eastern sky. All down the clean-cut mountain slopes, on terraces and blind arcades, the lights flashed from the lesser pavilions and pleasure-houses. It was the secret orchard of Herod and his friends, their trysting place with its spirits of mirth and madness. They called it the Mountain of the Little Paradise. Rich gardens were there, and the cool water from the pools of Solomon splashed in the fountains, and the trees of knowledge of good and evil fruited through.